Hello and welcome to Deluded, the Melbourne Demons podcast. Neats, it is a weekend of two extremes, I think it's fair to say. Um, on the one hand, you had the draw against Hawthorne, which was possibly our worst game of the year. What do you think? Oh, definitely. Particularly when you think about the outs that Hawthorne had. I mean, they really were fielding a reserves team and we right. were nearly full strength. It was, it was unbelievably disappointing. Oh, it is appalling. And it just reminded me a lot of the old days where we would just, you know, get possessions, get stats, not be damaging, not chase, not apply defensive pressure. And you could just see it coming, couldn't you, that last goal to Bruce? Oh, absolutely. And I do think as well, I mean, we started really positively. We played really well in the first quarter and I actually thought, how much would we win by? But yeah, they completely turned the tables on us. And, you know, I guess it always... You can never write off Alistair Clarkson. Um, mm. His ability to motivate his team, his ability to, you know, outcoach his opponents. He's really just a master. Yeah, absolutely. And I do have a little bit of a question mark about how we're going to approach teams that are playing this style of football. You know, trying avoiding the long ball, um, stopping giving us this this extra loose player like Salem. Um, Teams have done it consistently, particularly bottom teams. And do we have a plan to counter that? I'm just not sure at the moment. I guess we'll find out in the coming weeks because yeah. the more we, you know, I mean, the reality is, is now people, I think, have, are starting to find a blueprint mm. on how to really challenge Melbourne. And yeah, they're going to start sort of implementing that game plan more and more. So we'll see how Lever and May in particular adapt to that. Totally. But then again, I mean, that blueprint, like any blueprint, only works if we're not applying pressure, mm. right? Which is what happened this week. I think we got out tackled by like 20 um, and I don't know. I feel like next week against the Dogs, we'll lift again. So it's hard to get a really clear read on where we're at in some ways. I think you'd always rather us be who we are right now, maybe a little bit um, poor against you know the worst teams in the competition, rather than being something like a team like Port, yeah. you know, who seem to really smack around teams that are beneath them but struggle with anyone who's actually decent. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, but it is a very contrasting Saturday for us because on early Saturday morning in Mexico, we watched the game, have a terrible day. I then go and play cricket in the Mexican Cricket League and get a first ball duck. And oh, I was just, I'm sorry. I was just very sour about the Chiapas Flyers. The Chiapas Flyers. You're number five. Batting at number you... five, a crucial role and just a poor, undisciplined shot and really let the team down, let myself down. So I was just feeling very, very down on myself. Then I had five tacos and then I went home to get my phone buzzing with messages saying that we had featured on the Sunday footy show. The deluded podcast was on the Sunday footy show. TJ, speaking of podcasts, uh, there is a Melbourne podcast, a Melbourne podcast of two people who live in Mexico but love the demons. And the guest this week to talk about all things Melbourne was this man, Kane Corn. So there's uh, these two people that live in and he took the time to uh, sit in his car and do that podcast, Kane. So that, that's one aspect of the podcast. But they all wanted to know all about things Melbourne, and they absolutely love Lever and May. So they ask a question about Lever and May, and watch the areas that Kane goes to. Obviously, Lever and May have been absolutely spectacular this year. Chad was a bit the same. Chad started as a forward. Start of the year, they said, oh, I'm push you back. He was nervous about it. He just editing. played it like he was a forward. So Chad was a bit ahead of his time. My dad, my, has oh, been in media for a long time, okay. still is. He's 75. Oh. He's in the Australian Football Hall of Fame. So he's a great player, but he was, he was a brilliant media performer. Oh. I never say anything I don't believe. So, Kane, how did you get it onto Chad and Graham? It's all about Melbourne. Come on, well, give them there. Yeah, fair, fair enough. Select, selective editing, I thought, there. <laughs> check out the podcast. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. To say we're celebrities is kind of an understatement, isn't it? It's quite funny. The, the hilarious part about it all is that we've now been on 
the Sunday Footy Show, AFL Tonight. We've been featured on Fox Footy um, many times. Thank you, Tom Morris. But it's, it's <laughs> most of these things just come back to Tom Morris. Yeah. <laughs> In this instance, the Sunday Footy Show did not come back to Tom Morris. Yeah. Um, that came back to another dear friend of this podcast, Sam McClaw, who we love very much. Shout out to you, Sam, if you're listening to this. Um, but it was quite a, a quite a funny funny set of occurrences to see our faces appear on the uh, Sunday footy show. We were so proud. No, it's it's very funny to think about it, you know, because obviously uh, this podcast is, you know, needless to say, I didn't think it very much came from humble beginnings. I never <laughs> thought we'd, we'd get here. This is sounding a little so, bit like an Oscar speech. Some would say but... it's, having, it's in humble continuations, but I appreciate the Oscar speech nonetheless. <laughs> But at least we have a microphone these days, so, you know. We're, right, we're exactly. in a golden age of deluded, yeah. <laughs> well, I do want to thank everyone who's who's stuck with us on our journey from um, simpletons to superstars as we are now in the uh, in the Melbourne Demons fan podcast community, of which uh, that is a huge community. But yeah, anyway. I don't even know about that. But, um, yeah, please join the Facebook uh, group, Mel- uh, Deluded, the Melbourne Demons fan community. Um this week, we've got a really great interview with Nat Edwards from AFL.com.au um, and the daily podcast AFL Daily. She's also on 3AW and Channel 7. Channel she's 7. on everything. Nat is an absolute uh, – she's a delight, to say the least. She's hilarious. She's one of the funniest guests we've had, um, and she's just a joy to talk to. So, yeah, this is a great interview. It's probably less of an interview, sort of unlike some of our other um, guests that we've had on, and we do really talk a lot about the game in this one. <laughs> I know that some <laughs> of you have asked for more of a of an in-depth analysis of uh, Melbourne games as opposed to an in-depth analysis of the state of sports media, but that's <laughs> what it is. Well, we've never really responded to what the, the public wants, but maybe we we'll no. just start this week. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> But no, but this one we do we do go very very in depth into Melbourne's uh, flaws this season, theories as to why we are not getting up against the really poor teams and why we sort of save our best for the best. Um, different theories on what we can do about our forward line: Ben Brown, Sam Wiedemann, the perennial questions there, and yeah, just some really interesting discussions about um, yeah, just about how Hawthorne outplayed us in a lot of ways. Yes, and we talk about the Dogs game this week, which is. Top of the ladder, empty MCG. What a bizarre, bizarre Second time this season, season, yeah. yeah. And there was an interesting article this week, which I saw people saw, about how the Ds have already lost nearly $2 million just on gate receipts, which is so cruel in a year that we're doing amazingly, losing out on these kinds of games. But the fact is we're top of the ladder, and it wouldn't surprise me at all if we win this game. You know, the, the MCG, um, you know, we've had a few sloppy results recently, but... I don't know. I think we might get over the dogs. What do you think? I think we'll win this week. Yeah. yeah. I'm tipping us by 20. Just a bit. I think we'll bring a bit of manic pressure on the ball. Tom McDonald will hopefully have a better game. And I don't know. I mean, I know the dogs' forward line has done well, but I back Stephen May to really respond and, and dominate Norton. I don't know. I back Lever and May with my life. Okay. <laughs> it's a bit stronger, but there you go. Um, but we hope you enjoyed this interview. Thank you so much for supporting Deluded as always. Um, and until next week, go Dees. Go Dees. Nat Edwards, welcome to the Deluded Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm absolutely pumped to be on the pod. <laughs> Nat, I have to say, I um, recently discovered that you are actually a an old collegian of Presbyterian Ladies College, of which I am also an old collegian. And if you want to hear a very funny story, um, Kieran and I actually first met at the PLC Melbourne High School Great Debate of 2005, where Kieran gave <laughs> one of the most embarrassing speeches 
It's a matter of perspective, right? Yeah. I've ever heard. It was really bad. We were both co-hosts and Kieran. <laughs> I want to hear this speech now. It sounds hilarious. Nah, the speech. I think it would still violate several defamation laws. <laughs> Good. No, but now we're we're honestly so thrilled to have you, and we've we I can honestly tell you we've been big fans of yours, um, not least because we love your voice on um, AFL Daily, um, very much like the New York Times Daily podcast. It's very much a part of our daily routine. But also, we just love the way that you sort of announce new uh, segments, like you know, Dog Down, Swan Song. There's real gravitas to that, and we really love it. I must say. <laughs> I try really hard. Sometimes the uh, the swan uh, the su- the subs on the AFL news desk get a little bit um, funny with me because I try and be a little bit too cute and a bit too clever, and I like to try and push the boundaries. I remember one time when. Um, Stevie J went to the Giants and so obviously Steve Johnson that's his like I wanted to have the slug um Giant Johnson but um that that did get over the line for a number of reasons and and I think that probably gives you a little bit of an insight into where my mind is at sometimes but um you know I couldn't get that one over the line even though I tried really really hard so you know we ha- we try and have a bit of fun with it it's hard to get around the fat cats at AFL house <laughs> That's brilliant. That's brilliant. Well, now we know not least from your background, um, like your physical background in the room mm-hmm. at which you're sitting in, that you are a huge, huge Hawks fan. And surely you were as shocked as we were by the results. Um, yeah. Did you notice a specific change in Hawthorne's game style to combat Melbourne? Yeah, and I'm so sorry for rubbing this in your face. I mean, I know it was a draw, but for Hawks fans, a draw was a win for us. Like I celebrated so hard like it was a win when Luke Bruce kicked that goal. But, look, um, yeah, there was a change in in tactic. I think, you know, Hawthorne had identified the fact that, you know, you cannot just bomb it into your forward 50 because you're going to have Stephen May and Jake Lever. They're just marking everything and intercepting everything. So it was that dirty ball that they chose to move forward with look it was a grubby game at times and and that's certainly a switch from the style that we've been we've been trying to play but we had so many injuries too we barely had a back line like most of our starting back line is rubbing it in Nat rubbing it in (laughs) I know exactly so I was super surprised and and so proud of um how the Hawks you know stood up their pressure was incredible 81 tackles to 58 it was just off the charts um, for, for Hawthorne and I think on an AFL average as well. So they did really well. And for the D's, I, all my D's friends who, you know, one of them, Michael O'Donnell as well, they're all getting a little bit nervous. How are you guys feeling? Are you anxious? Are you concerned? Um, are you pessimistic? Like what's the feeling? I would say after so many years of disappointment that Melbourne disappointments don't really affect me anymore because I, almost, <laughs> I would say I, I expect to lose every week. So a draw in a way is a good result. What's your techniques? I mean, a draw against a team which is really fielding its like reserve reserves players. I mean, and that's the thing. It was really disappointing. You have to remember that Jack Gunston hasn't been playing. James Sicily hasn't been there all year. Jath is out. You know, there are some really, really big omissions from Hawthorne and we were at a nearly full strength team. So that was, the, and, and honestly, I don't think we really could handle Hawthorne's pressure at times. That being said, and and this is the thing, we're still first on the ladder. So it's kind of this, it's this really weird moment of feeling like unbelievably disappointed, but then thinking, oh my gosh, I'm used to like real disappointment. Like 
you know, in 2017 when we somehow managed to finish ninth. But, you know, this is, by contrast, not really that much of a disappointment, but it's only because the expectations are really soaring this, this season. Yeah, I think that's true, and that's the thing to remember. You're still two points ahead on top of the ladder. So it's funny, though, because I was, like, in the park, and I love to eavesdrop on other people's conversations in the park, especially when we're in lockdown you can't really do anything or gossip with anyone. There's these two dads with their kids. Their kids are off playing, and all they're doing is just moaning about um, the Melbourne footy club and, and, oh, God, we can't trust them. You know, it's mental. It's got to be mental. It's the attitude. They're just complacent. Like we've lost to Collingwood, to Adelaide, to the Giants, and now we draw with Hawthorne. They were really down on themselves. And I really wanted to interrupt and be like, guys, have you seen the ladder? Here's here's the AFL app. Like you're still on top. Like what are you doing? And look, record against the top eight sides is fantastic. There's always a lull at some point and you lose, you drop a few games to teams that you probably shouldn't. But I still think the Ds have a a game that's going to stand up hopefully during finals they might need to tweak you know a few things not winning the clearances I don't think you've done that very well in the last sort of five weeks or so but there's still plenty to love about the D's and my brother-in-law and father-in-law both massive Melbourne supporters so there was lots of texts on Saturday night um, mostly about umpiring um, <laughs> text going back and forth. So, but look, the reality is I, I still think you're going to be up there at the business end of the season. So on that question of trust, um, Jake Nile came out today on the Real Footy podcast and said that he doesn't trust Melbourne because of its failures against the bottom teams. Mm. Uh, do you trust Melbourne? I think I do. I think they've done enough throughout the year to suggest that we can trust them, especially against those top eight sides. And, yes, they've let a couple of games slip. And and I understand where Jake's coming from and what he's trying to say. But, honestly, I think they've changed a lot. I remember listening to Christian Petrarca um, speak on radio probably two or three months ago now, and and the turning point was a game – in the NT last year, a game that they dropped that they should have won and they went in with that complacency. And and while they've sort of done that again this year in a couple of games, I still think there's a sense of growth and maturity of this group that we haven't seen before and it's that that makes me trust them, that they're mature enough to recognise when they are potentially being complacent or dropping their attitude and they can recognise that and rectify it. And I have no doubt, I mean, playing the dogs this weekend now that fixture's been flipped around and brought forward from round 20 it's going to be a cracking game and I I have no doubt that the D's are going to come out hard and and I'd probably even back them to win that one to be honest. So Nat before we go to the dogs game I want to drill down a little bit on this issue of why Melbourne keeps failing against bottom eight teams and there's lots of competing explanations this week so David King came out and said that there's a structural problem where mm. Melbourne's deliberately, almost deliberately losing the the contest yeah. to uh, turnover. Uh, Montagna says it's just a bit of complacency, not a big deal. Gary Lyons says that uh, the bottom teams are more willing to adjust their game plan, throw it out the window just to beat Melbourne than top teams. Where do you stand? What do you think it is? What I think it is is just, you know, when you're on top of the ladder for that amount of time, sides are just trying to pick apart how they're going to beat you and maybe Melbourne has become a little bit too predictable Um, and so that's up to the coaching group then to go back to the drawing board and try and maybe tweak a few things change a few things up surprise teams 
Um, and, and there's plenty of time still to do that. We've got five weeks of the home and away season and then you've got finals. So you, want, you don't want to give away all your secrets early on. So they might be working on things behind the scenes that they can pull out during finals, pull out against certain teams depending on matchups. But for me, it's just that, you know, teams have had more time. You know, we've had 17, 18 looks at Melbourne and, and teams are just working out how to play them better. And I spoke about that dirty ball that Hawthorne used to enter their forward 50. That was a direct change and how they're trying to go forward. And that was to combat Lever and May, who were the dynamic duo down there. So if you can kind of even that contest out, then you every chance of, of beating the Ds. So they need to probably tweak, I reckon, a few things game plan wise, not too much, nothing drastic. But if they can change a few things up, then teams, you know, won't be able to find them out as easy. But I, I think it's just that we've had longer to study them, to be honest. I think it's a really interesting point. The idea that it's more about a time lag between the amount of time that you get to actually study a team that's so clearly on top of the ladder. Um, and you can really go to school on them. And that happens to be commensurate with the last five weeks where they have been a bit down generally, as opposed to this idea that it's like, you know, they get up for the top teams, but they don't really try as much against the bottom teams. Yeah, and you can't forget fatigue too. Like it's a long season. We came off a, a shorter season last year with shorter game time. For teams, I feel like there's always some kind of drop-off um, around this time. It's that winter lull, that mid-season lull that sort of comes on and then they start to ramp up again. I mean, you're not winning a flag in July. The flags are won in September or October, as it were, last year. So, you know, you, they're still going to build it and find a way I'm not as concerned as as people are making out. It's not panic stations, these fans. Don't worry. Don't go to the store. You'll be fine. Now, I'm interested in your take on something because there's a clip of Clayton Oliver giving Charlie Spargo a little bit of a spray uh, for taking the mark that he thought was his and that he'd worked really hard to get across the ground for. Um, You know, the Ds have really tried to um, spruik the idea that they are this extremely selfless team this year. Do you think that that's evidence of a bit of selfishness creeping back into the team? And that combined with maybe some other instances that we've seen over the past couple of weeks where their form has been a bit down, of players not necessarily covering uh, a free opponent or that type of thing. Yeah, it's interesting. Like I've heard a few commentators sort of talk about that particular incident saying, you know, cracks are starting to appear in the team. They're not as united as they seem. I think it was just Oliver wanted the the shot at goal. And to be fair, Charlie Spargo is a way better kick (laughs) for goal than Clayton Oliver. So I'd be happy for uh, Charlie to be taking that kick any day of the week over Clary. But Look, I can assure you. <laughs> I, I, I also love Charlie Spargo. He is just an unbelievably good kick. And me too. So love, good. Love, love, love him. Yeah. I'm, I'm a big fan of um, of Charlie, especially the last, you know, this year in particular. But I think people are just looking for ways to pick apart a team. Honestly, like I wouldn't look at any of those incidents and say, oh, they're being really selfish. Fine, if it happens you know, four or five games in a row and and there's infighting and you can see bickering between players on the field, then, yeah, maybe there is a problem. But I think at this point you're just kind of scraping the barrel, <laughs> the bottom of the barrel going, oh, let's find things to talk about. I just, I just think it's been a, a storm in a teacup and, and probably, you know, not as bad as people are, are making it out to be. But you don't want players to, to have that selfish part of their game, but it creeps in every now and then. You're human. Like 
he wanted to kick a goal. What's so bad about that? He wanted to take ownership for something on the field. I don't think that's such a bad thing. I do, I do wonder, though, um, that when you look at the stat sheet for this game, you know, you've got Oliver with 35, Petrarca with 33, Viney with 32. That's a game you'd be expecting Melbourne to win pretty comfortably yeah. with those kinds of numbers. And to me, it looked a little bit like last season where you had some beautiful numbers for some of the key players. But are they really doing the defensive running? Are they doing the hard stuff? Because Hawthorne seem to be working so much harder around the ground. But I'll give you an example, a week for, uh, a long time in footy because two weeks ago against Fremantle, Tom Mitchell was criticised. Yeah, he had, I don't know how many touches, like maybe 29, 30 touches, but he was defensively really, really poor. Um, that was highlighted and then flipped to this week um, and he his defensive, his pressure acts were through the roof and he played an amazing defensive game as well as accumulating all of that footy. I think sometimes when your team's just going bad, you don't and you're losing or you think that you should be where you are, you, you forget those little things and you don't do, do those one percenters. You, your running might drop off a little bit. And that's something that they'll reflect on this week and guaranteed they're not going to have those poor defensive lapses uh, against the Bulldogs um, this coming weekend. That's That's one thing for sure. Now, we have to ask you about one of Kieran's favourite players of all time, whoever, one of, one of literally, I kid you not, one of the uh, Kieran's absolute favourites to ever pull on a Melbourne jumper, Sam Frost. <laughs> Obviously, <laughs> we saw a very funny tweet from you recently about one of Frosty's... Um, uh, <laughs> Unconventional disposals. Exactly. Yeah. That's the way we do it. Talk us through what your view is on Sam Frost now, because um, Kieran, I still miss is, him. Kieran it was it was very mournful for him, actually, I can assure you. That's the opposite. My brother-in-law was like, get him out the door, see you later, you can have him. Look, Sam Frost, I love his attack on the ball. I love the way he wants to play on and attack the contest, run and carry. Sometimes, Sam might bite off a little bit more than he can chew. So he just, brain fades. I think they're just brain fades and everyone has them. It's it's totally natural. There were a couple of times where he could have just taken his a little bit more time with his kick, but he's just hit up a Melbourne player directly. Like there wasn't even a Hawthorne player in the vicinity. I don't even know what he was thinking. And I'm like, oh, God. And, And sometimes he wants to play on, take on the tackler, fend off and that just makes me nervous so I'm pretty much just of the opinion that he should get it and give and get out that's yeah. that's my opinion with Sam Frost but look I you know everyone makes mistakes and we've seen CJ he does the same thing he likes to be really attacking he's made mistakes too and no one's perfect I'm not perfect footballers aren't perfect and they make mistakes at some at some point during a game but yeah there are a couple of brain explosions uh <laughs> <laughs> in, in the draw on the weekend. Clarko seems to give him a lot of licence. Yeah, yeah, he does. But, I mean, it works most of the time. It's just occasionally like, oh, why? Why did you do that? Um, and he makes me get a few grey hairs, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> He's not my favourite player, though. That's that's a weird and unconventional choice. Very <laughs> much so. It's very in line with Kieran's personality, though, the, the unconventional choice of favourite player. Hey, now, another player whose disposal efficiency I'm interested in your thoughts on, how do you think we should judge 
the performance of a player like Jack Viney because he's the type of player who accumulates so much of the ball. He laid 11 tackles on the weekend. Joe Montagna talked about how this is his best game back from injury, which undoubtedly it is, but then he goes at 42% by foot. So how do you think we have to, we judge those types of players who are all endeavor, um, but maybe not the polish that that is required of a modern day player? I think we need to go back and like look at where he's getting those possessions from. So, you know, that's a criticism too of someone like a Tom Mitchell who, but they're getting them in close, in tight, in traffic, often at a stoppage, you're just bombing that ball out. So, yeah, of course your disposal efficiency isn't going to be fantastic when you're getting something contested and you've got pressure on and you're just trying to get it out. So I think you need to dig a little deeper and see where he's getting his possessions. Is he just no pressure and doing a Sam Frost and hitting up the opposition player? Like, I, I don't know. I haven't watched, gone back and watched his his um his game that closely. So I think you need to always be mindful when we do talk about disposal efficiency and you know, what type of player, where are they getting their disposals? And, and is it just shank kicks all the time and turning it over blindly when there are other options or are they getting it in tight, in close and then turning it over after that? So I think there's, yeah, a little bit that you need to dig deeper in on Jack Viney, but he's also, you know, not played that much football. So I think it, it's hard to be really critical of someone who's still working their way back in um, and someone who's honestly a terrific, terrific player and has that talent and, and is often in and under in, in the pack. So, yeah, I, I, it's hard to judge Jack Viney, I think, at this point in time. Do you think there's a case at all to move Angus Brayshaw into the middle uh, for part of the remaining weeks um, because although we do have in a sense a bit of a star-studded midfield um, there do seem to be some chinks in the armor that we've seen against even some of the lower teams yeah I mean you could give him a run in there like you remember that brown like, like that year where he nearly won the brown and how good he is you just know how talented he is and I'm sure he would love to be back there but he's been so underrated on a wing like his defensive work um, the way he runs, his patterns, you know, he's kind of taken one for the team this year. He's not getting the accolades and um, racking up all the the posies in that sense, but he's playing a really, really important role for the team. So that's the thing. If you're taking him out from there and putting him, you know, more inside, then, you know, what are you giving up? So that I think it's something the coaches would need to weigh up. But Surely, yeah, if the game's in the clinches, maybe you do throw him in there and mix things up. And we talked about Melbourne being maybe a bit too predictable. Well, maybe this is a way of, of tweaking things, changing things up and, and surprising other teams with, you know, the personnel that you put in around the ball at times. But, yeah, I'd be I'd be for that because he's, we know he's such a good player um, and, and can win his own ball and, and he's damaging too. So, yeah, it's it's not a bad idea. Maybe we should, um, you know, tweet Simon Good. Does Simon Goodwin even have Twitter? We know Bucks has Twitter, but we know maybe Goody needs to get Twitter and we can tweet him some of these ideas. Or maybe we'll get him to listen to this pod. I think it's probably a good thing for us if Simon Goodwin never listens to this pod. No. <laughs> but the long term. We were very frustrated Melbourne supporters last year. But I think We've everybody I think everybody was, right? And that makes sense. When a team isn't performing, the pressure comes. And that's how any strong organization should I mean, every single organization has to come under scrutiny when it's not performing up to its well, 
standards. Um, for me, I think that the real argument as well for having Gus in the midfield is I just think he's such a good kick into the forward line. And that's something that I really, some, it really, so, sometimes you watch Melbourne games and we still, it still feels like we bomb it in long yeah. and we don't necessarily give our, uh, forwards that much of a chance, um, particularly with, with, with Oliver and, and also with Viney. Whereas I just think that Gus is a really smart, good kick into the forward line, much like, you know, just, yeah, it's just someone who can, you can kind of rely on in that role. Yeah, you want someone who can, like, lower their eyes a little bit. Um, and, like, that was, you know, scoring issues for a while when you didn't have Ben Brown um, in the side, someone bringing the ball to ground. You've got Tom McDonald there as well. But you want to give Cozzy, like, the best chance because everyone loves Cozzy Pickett. Um, but, yeah, lowering the eyes and being a bit more, um, taking a bit more time, I think, when going inside forward 50 will always help. So, yeah, maybe maybe that is a good move there to to move Gussie into the midfield. He could be onto a winner. So on, on the subject of Ben Brown, there's obviously been this permanent debate this year about whether he should play, whether Wiedemann should play. Uh, I made Brett Herscope suggested Mitch Brown should play, which I quite like on the subject of unconventional inclusions. <laughs> um, but then there's a counter-argument to all that, which is maybe we just need to commit to one and say, this is our guy, it's Ben Brown, you know, if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But this is our only chance of getting a premiership, so go for that. Where do you, where do you land on that? Do you think there'll be more changes? It's hard to say. Um, but I think you need to give Ben Brown a good block. And that good block could take you up to finals, to be honest, because it takes time to sync with the team. We all know that. To find that chemistry, to find that spark, to get to know your teammates. It's all fine and well and good to, to do it at training, but in a game situation, it's so different. Um, Sam Wiedemann had his chance. He, he, you know, they gave him a good four or five week block, just didn't probably perform the way that he'd like. I think there's a few different things at play there. It's obviously hard coming from the VFL where you're like the number one guy, the number one target. And that's obviously not the case when he comes into the senior side. Um, he's also out of contract. So I think uh, Sam's had a lot on his mind in terms of, you know, what's his future look like? Is it at Melbourne? Isn't it, uh, you know, the anxiety that might go along with being out of contract? We don't know what um, impact that might have on a young player and how that might actually start to affect his game. So I, I do think it's fair that they're giving Ben Brown a chance now to stake his claim. <sighs> I was probably critical of allowing him to come into the side off a VFL game where he had three touches and two kicks, um, whereas Sam Wiedemann kicked, I think, three goals too and, and has been playing a little bit more in the ruck. But, look, I think you've just got to give Ben a chance um, now and and two more games maybe and, and see what it looks like. And if it's not working, then maybe you go back to the drawing board. But it's so hard to keep chopping and changing, especially at this late part of the season. This is when you want to be, you know, getting your best 22 on the park, forming that momentum um, and that chemistry that can take you into finals. So, I mean, it looks like Ben Brown is the man for now. Uh, and, yeah, I think I think they really do need to stick with him, you know, for at least a, a couple more weeks just to see what connection he can form with the group. And, how do you guys, how have you rated his his last two games? I mean, that first one, even though he didn't kick any goals, like he, he still presented well, he competed, he brought the, the ball to ground and, and let up. He was another option for them. I, I thought it worked pretty well. Yeah, I agree. I think he doesn't move particularly uh, smoothly. And so it still feels like either 
due to age or perhaps maybe a bit of injury concerns still. Um, he doesn't move with much agility. That being said, we knew he wasn't a very agile player anyway. Yeah. Um, that was never his go. Uh, I think that the concern maybe is that perhaps the game has gone past him a little bit and particularly because he was a mature age recruit when they brought him in at North Melbourne. So I think that that is my concern. Does he have the mobility and the agility to last an entire season at a very high level? Yeah, and I think the other thing too that comes into play is the fact that, you know, he's had injuries this year. So he didn't have a, a full interrupt, like he had an interrupted preseason. So it's hard to gauge someone off on the back of, his year this year it'd be great to see him in a full preseason next year no injury issues and then see what he can produce because as we know when he was at North Melbourne he's kicking 40 plus goals in a season um so reliable and yeah it's it's hard to sort of judge on on his fitness and whether that knee's still giving him any issues he says it's fine but they're always going to say that so I, I don't know it, be interesting to see. I think Sam Wiedemann is the future, though, and you don't want to lose him. And so that's my concern is losing someone like Sam Wiedemann to a potential Collingwood maybe where, you know, we know his grandfather um, and father played. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens over the next couple of weeks, I'd say. Yeah, it's it's a tricky call. I mean, I'm starting to think that the metric for all of these alternative forwards is not actually how well they play but how well Tom McDonald plays. <laughs> yeah. In a way, I think it's they're all just to be the decoy forward. I mean, like against Port Adelaide, Brown did the team thing. He was almost played almost like an Alex Neil Bullen role, just, you know, keeping things ticking along. Um, and Tom McDonald and, and Fritch did the damage, right? And I think that's when we look our best. And my concern last week is Tom McDonald didn't get near it. And I wonder if you can't really tell when you're not at the ground, if they're getting each other's way or if something's going wrong. That kind of chemistry is huge, I think. Yeah, it is. And the only way you're going to get that chemistry is to keep playing together consistently. So, and that's the challenge for the coaching group. If, if they decide to stick with that, then they've got to sort that out. But, you know, Melbourne's forward line is pretty dynamic. Like, yeah, you mentioned Fritch. You've got T-Mac who's on his meat diet, all meat diet. Um, and then, you know, you've got um, Ben Brown or Sam Wiedemann uh, and then Cozzy Pickett as well, Charlie Spargo. Like, you've just... It's, it's just really dynamic, um, lots of people standing up at different times. So I, I do think, you know, it's not relying on one person to shoulder the load, which I think is a really good thing for the Ds. So now, last question. Um, so last time we played the Dogs, we absolutely blitzed them um, with pressure um, yeah. at a smaller ground. Now we're playing them several rounds later at the MCG um, we have a full list. Um, I think there's some talk that maybe Trelaw and Martin might be coming back. I'm not sure if that's happening this week. Um, do you think we'll be able to repeat that dose against the dogs or have you seen something different from them which suggests that the result's going to be different this week? I still think like, you know, when the dogs have lost, it's because you've stopped that handball chain and that run that they get on. And when you don't allow them to play their own game, I'm not sure that they have a plan B at this point. So pressure is going to be key, which was lacking against the Hawks on the weekend from the D's side of things. So I think that's that's vital that they get that right. Yeah, it's a, it's a bigger ground at the MCG. I'm not too fussed about that. Um, I still think the D's have what it takes to, to beat the Dogs. Yes, if they got Trelora Martin back, yeah, it could be a bit of a boost, but 
also we've had no VFL last weekend. So fitness-wise, you bring in two guys for a huge game, huge occasion, um, and they might be slightly underdone. We know Josh Dunkley is unfortunately isolating for 14 days um, because he went into a cafe the day that they left. So he's been in an exposure site. So Dunkley's not going to play. Um, and yeah, still, I think a few queries on on the dogs in terms of how's that forward line going to to work with Norton, Jamara. I mean, it seemed to work all right um, on the weekend. But yeah, there's I still have a few question marks on the dogs. Um, I, I am backing in the D's for this one, early days. I know it's just Tuesday. We have to do our tips on a Wednesday at afl.com.au. So um, that always puts the pressure on because the teams haven't come out and I don't I don't like doing my tips before the, te- the teams come out. But, I yeah, I, as I say, I think the pressure is, is the key. And if the D's can bring that heat and bring that pressure, then you're going to stop the dogs run and that little handball game that they like to use and, um, yeah, It'll be interesting to see how it plays out because obviously the dogs will want to get one back. But as a D's outfit, you don't want to give away too much, do you? Because likely chances you might play again come September. So I wonder if, I always wonder if there's like a little bit of foxing that goes on with the coaches. Like you don't want to reveal your full hand. Um, and, you know, some people say, is it even better to lose this one and, and oh. you know, stuff things out for next time? You don't want to do that, though, if you're the Ds and you've you've just drawn with Hawthorne, you probably want to get back on the winner's and list here. A, but have been a bit of a failing club for 50 years, yeah. so I don't think Melbourne's that this Melbourne's been is... boxing for a long time, yeah. unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. So, yeah, I, I'm really curious to see how this one plays out. Um yeah, I haven't dug any deeper into stats and all that kind of stuff. That that will come as the week goes on. But, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking for now I'm on the D train. And matchup of the season, Petty versus Ugle Hagen. Who's going to win? Oh, yes. How good has Harrison Petty been, though? Seriously. Like, Tomlinson goes down and everyone's like, oh, the Demons are stuffed now. Oh, they're, they're absolutely cooked. But Petty just comes in and he... He plays his role brilliantly. So, um, and yeah, Jamara after that, um, well, I won't call it a dud debut because it's pretty hard to be a key forward and come in, um, but a goalless debut to, to three goals. Like, gosh, there were good signs from him on the weekend. He's he's certainly a talent and, um, yeah, it's, yeah, you, Melbourne defence is going to have its work cut out for it. So, yeah, again, Lever and May, like will they be able to play that intercept role, handling Norton and Jamara if he plays and and, if, and Josh Bruce as well? It's it's a pretty tall uh, forward line. Matt, thank you so much for joining Deluded. Thanks so much for having me, guys. 